WATD presents John Paul, the car doctor. All things automotive. Have questions? Call 781-837-4900. Now, here's John Paul, the car doctor. Good Sunday morning, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Car Doctor Program on 95.9 WATD. Yes, we are live this morning. Yes, we took last Sunday off. We took Christmas off, and we had some of the very best of uh, locally produced uh, Christmas music playing. So, uh, but today we're live, so I, it was nice. I, I was I was happy to have Christmas Day off. And you, Jesse, did you have the day off? A little bit. Yes. Yeah, well, that's good. Uh, you know, except you're you you know you're a dad, so you didn't really have Christmas off because you had to you had to play Santa Claus. So that's all good. That's true. Yeah, uh, but if you want to join us, we don't have we don't have a guest for today. So you are the guests, and if you want to give us a call at seven eight one eight three seven forty nine hundred, feel free to do that seven eight one eight three seven forty nine hundred. I wanted to talk about a few things that were going on, including some of the mail I received this week. I like to go over some of the mail because the mail actually becomes my column in several publications. Although it looked like Boston dot com sort of maybe took the week off. I didn't see a new column get posted up there but the providence journal column posted today so if you're a uh if you're a subscriber to the providence journal or you go to their website regularly uh or uh that column was also on yahoo news this morning so if you go to the i guess some people still go to yahoo news i mean it's uh but uh, my column was there this morning and also my column runs uh courtesy of mark rosso from the uh from the herald my column runs in uh, several of the papers owned by the Herald in the New York area. Uh, so you can, if you just Google Car Doctor Q&A column, you'll usually find it. And uh, you can read some of the questions that come up in there. And, of course, you can find our past programs here on our podcast page, which is johnfpaul.podbean.com. Or you can Google Car Doctor Radio, and you'll find it on Spotify and Stitcher and all those kind of things. So it's 2023. So what are we going to talk about in 2023? We're going to talk about there was a, a good article in Consumer Reports about new cars you can count on. And it says, hoping for uh, new trends for anxiety-ridden process, one of the largest single purchases uh, many people make, and no one wants to waste money or time on a model. It'll be a regular at the repair shop, fortunately, uh, consumer reports can guide you to the most reliable new cars and trucks and i always like looking at these kind of things because it, it uh, you know sometimes i agree sometimes i disagree um one of the ones that uh, rated pretty well was the mazda miata yeah from the very beginning these were super dependable cars they were fun to drive uh they described the uh, precise shifter easy to open and close uh eager engine yeah you know could it use more horsepower sure it could everything can use more horsepower i suppose but uh the miata was always was always a great car and simple you know it was sort of when it first came out it was sort of going to be the Japanese version of an English sports car like a Triumph Spitfire or MGB or something like that. And what it was was exactly that, only much more reliable. One of the other ones that came up as very reliable was the Toyota Prius Prime. The Prius Prime is the plug-in version of the Prius. Uh, it's strength, fuel economy, obviously, hatchback. I've always been a fan of the Prius. Uh, you know, it's, you know, it design-wise, is it the prettiest car? Well, the, not maybe not the prettiest car in the world, although they keep 
it keeps getting better and better looking. Uh, but the idea that it's a hatchback, that it has a lot of room in it, it actually interior space uh, is almost like a mid-sized car. It's a pretty comfortable car inside. Uh, rides rides pretty good uh, versus the first ones that came out. They were really biased towards getting maximum fuel economy, so the ride was a little stiff um, because of the types of tires and so forth. Uh, the other one that you can never go wrong with, Toyota Corolla. Um, it says here the strengths are fuel economy, smooth and steady ride, easy to use controls, absolutely. Subaru's on the list, um, a little bit lower on the list, but still on the list with the Subaru Crosstrek, uh, which again, easy to look at. One that surprises me on the list is the Mini Cooper. Um, the Mini Cooper, I've found over the years, the reliability wasn't that good, but they say here, you know, handling, precise manual transmission, uh, overall good car, good reliability score. Um, well, I guess, I guess, uh, again, something that initially in the very beginning when the Mini Coopers first came out was absolutely not the case. And uh, it is, you know, the Mini Cooper is a division of BMW, and... BMW reliability is great for the first three or four years, and after that starts to get a little bit soft. Um, in the SUV category, the Lexus GX, uh, good car, you can't go wrong with it. Toyota Corolla Hybrid, good car, you can't go wrong with it. At the bottom of the list, and that's always where it sort of gets a little bit interesting, uh, the Jeep Wrangler. Uh, it says trouble spots include electrical system, fuel system, climate system, engine paint, trim, noises, leaks. Uh, Mercedes-Benz GLE, same thing in in-car electronics. Jeep Gladiator, similar to the Wrangler, it says trouble spots, steering suspension, drive system, electrical system, noises and leaks. Chevrolet Silverado, it says uh, issues with the engine, electrical system, drive system, and brakes. Uh, very poor. Uh, Chevrolet Bolt, it's, it's rated really near the bottom of the list and it says the electrical system and battery pack yeah i guess you would have to rate it that way because they were stopped making them for a while they had all kinds of issues with them it is just a good what i guess when it runs good it is just a good car though the chevy bolt is is a good car they did a really nice job with it ford explorer yeah troubles transmission power equipment body hardware so forth electronics in car electronics seems to be the real issue here because some of it I'm willing to bet is an issue with, you know, how it's made. And others, I wonder if it's just too complicated. Did they put too much stuff in it that it makes it hard for the person who's driving it to understand the way it's supposed to work? Lincoln Aviator, so sort of like an Explorer. Same thing in car electronics. Uh, Hyundai Kona Electric, same idea as the Chevrolet Bolt. Good car when it's good. Uh, but they had a lot of battery problems with that initially as well, and the charging system. And also at the bottom of the list, the Ford F-150 Hybrid, it says electrical system, power equipment, drive system, engine noises. So does this mean electric cars aren't really quite ready yet? Um, you know, when you look at some of the stuff in the article here, it says hybrids have few problems. We received more data on hybrids in this year's surveys than in years past. Repaired most hybrids have reliability that is as good or better than the non-hybrid counterparts. Some owners of the regular 2022 Ford Escape SUV reported braking problems, but we received zero complaints to the issue from the hybrid version. Similarly, uh, owners of the non-hybrid Escape reported 8-speed transmission issues, had rough shifts, and would slip. 
uh, not stay in gear. Well, the escape hybrid owners reported no problems with the continually various transmission, variable transmission. Uh, problematic plugins now that more as well as less expensive EV models are being introduced and selling in greater numbers. More respondents are reporting problems with EV-specific systems, including battery packs, charging systems, drive motors. These problems are seen across multiple EVs, including the Chevrolet Bolt, Ford Mustang Mach-E, Hyundai Kona Electric, and Volkswagen ID.4, all of which have below average reliability. In previous years, EVs have had high rates of problems with infotainment systems, screens, and other in-car electronics, just as conventional cars do, according to Jake Fisher. He's the uh, car guy down at uh, Consumer Reports. This year, issues with those systems remain, while problems surfaced with EV-related components. And I wonder if some of it's people are having problems finding places to charge, finding places that charging systems work well, things like that. Um I don't know. Interesting to see. One Some of the other brand reliability, again, it lists the uh, Toyota uh, Corolla Cross at the top of the list, Tundra at the top of the list. Um, again, it's kind of a surprise for me, the BMW 5 Series and 3 Series, uh, people are reporting it as very reliable, which is which is probably the case when the car is new, but that is generally not the case as the car gets older. Uh, Volvo's up a little bit from the previous year, but still not great. Looking at some of the other ones, subcompact uh, SUVs, so sort of that Subaru Crosstrack, the Toyota Corolla Cross is at the top of that list. Um, at the very bottom of that list, the Volkswagen Taos uh, didn't do very well. On compact SUVs, the Subaru Forester did well. Uh, Nissan Rogue did good, which is nice to see for Nissan because they, they've had their share of problems. Um, Speaking of Nissan, I, I watched a little bit of the uh, documentary of uh, the former CEO of Nissan that uh, was uh, who's I guess hiding in his uh, hiding in his uh, in Lebanon right now because that's where he's from, and uh, sort of interesting. I kind of fast forwarded through part of it. I don't know if uh, people have watched it or not, but it's Carlos Ghosn and, and how he. Uh, you know, kind of you know, took over Nissan, made the company profitable, did a lot of cost cutting, but I guess embezzled millions and millions of dollars and didn't go over real well. Uh, Three-row SUVs, the Toyota Highlander, always a good choice. Toyota 4Runner, good choice as well. And again, so if you look at the luxury side of um, Lexus, uh, you'll see that, you know, their, their vehicles are doing just as well really so like the lexus gx which is kind of really a toyota 4runner uh you can see how that would do okay kia telluride which was everybody's favorite vehicle uh a year or so ago uh reliability's down a little bit and i wonder again if it's one of those things that can happen when everybody says you have to go buy this you have to go buy this you have to go buy it and in fact what really happens is people you know, people just kind of buy it, and then maybe it's just not the right vehicle for them. Uh, so that's, you know, always one thing to sort of worry about a little bit. And um, let's see, in midsize pickup trucks, Toyota Tacoma, Honda Ridgeline. Ridgeline, I guess, um, is it a real pickup truck? Yeah, kind of. I mean, sort of like this Hyundai Santa Cruz is a pickup truck. Uh, I have been seeing more and more of the Ford Mavericks, 
out, which is Ford's uh, small pickup truck. Um, it is the bargain of the century, I guess, because it starts at about twenty-two or twenty-three thousand dollars for a front-wheel drive. Now it is front-wheel drive, but it is a hybrid that gets forty miles per gallon. And the biggest problem with that is you can't buy them. They sold out every one that they made. Minivans, yeah, people still buy minivans. The Kia Carnival, Carnival is a popular Toyota Sienna. Uh, popular, especially in New England, because it's all-wheel drive, Honda Odyssey, and Chrysler Pacifica. The Chrysler Pacifica actually won the previously owned vehicle of the year competition, which is uh, which is put together by Wheels TV, and uh, the vehicle did did real well in the voting. I was I was able to be part of that voting. So, um, also in here, there's a pretty good article, and this is in. What what issue of January issue of Consumer Reports, and it says watch out for abused cars. Uh, hundreds hundreds of thousands of cars are damaged by floods annually. Many end up back on used car lots. Why it matters? Water can wreck a car's electrical system, corroding wires, terminals. Depends on the kind of water. If it's freshwater flood, maybe not so bad. Freshwater flood, providing it doesn't have a lot of bacteria in it, can sometimes be cleaned out. Salt water horrible does all kinds of things to electrical connections and can even besides causing glitchy electronics can even cause uh, fires inside cars um, how to spot trouble like I've been saying for years use all of your senses if it smells like mold or mildew it may be water trapped beneath the carpet or inside the dash look for rusted screws evidence of water lines um, on things like door panels, uh, pull the spare out, look for the spare. Is there mud under the spare tire? Is there all kinds of problems where things could catch? Um, motorists file uh, tens of millions of dollars in collision claims each year, according to the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety. Uh, without proper repairs, collision damage can affect structural integrity and value. You may have seen the Carfax commercial where, you know, it shows two cars and it shows one that, you know, has reported... Uh, damage and the other one isn't it's kind of interesting because some of that is absolutely true uh, car dealers have told me they live and die by Carfax reports so you know if it has a Carfax report it, it really could affect whether someone wants to buy that car or not realistically though if the vehicle is repaired back to pre-crash conditions so before the vehicle was damaged should it affect the retail value of the car should it affect the value of the car According to insurance folks, it shouldn't because that car should be as good as it was when it was new. The reality of it is it probably doesn't work that way. Um, how to spot trouble on a crash car, it says, if certain body interior panels look too new or the color or texture isn't right. Best thing you can always do is take a car out into the light, look at it outside, and then if possible, if you can bring it inside to like a garage where there's fluorescent lights or LED lights, the paint will look different. And that sometimes is where you can see where uh, uh, paint wasn't blended properly, things like that. Electrical problems. Um, if you're going with somebody who knows what they're doing and they bring a scan tool and you're checking for, for uh, codes in a car, you may find that the codes were recently cleared, which means that there was a check engine light. Somebody cleared all the codes, so the light was off on the dash. And you may find that 50 or 100 miles or something later the check engine light comes on and all of a sudden that problem because you're a problem fire damage cars according to this report there's around 200,000 cars a year that uh, catch on fire and that's according to the national fire protection association 
And they say, um, you know, smaller fires fires can sometimes be repaired, but heat from fires can weaken and cause structural issues. Um, I don't see that many previously repaired fire damaged cars. Stolen cars certainly depends uh, where the car, what happened to it. Was it was it raced? Was it driven off road? Was it just plain vandalized? Or was it used for transportation? Years ago, when I was going to um, technical school, uh, somebody I know had their car stolen. And they got it back a month later. And whoever was using it was literally using it as transportation. They were using it to go probably back and forth to work or back and forth somewhere because it had a, it had a month's worth of tickets inside of it. And they got it back, and, they, and all the tickets, whoever stole it was just throwing the tickets on the front seat. And they got it back, and all the tickets were within a block of each other so whoever was driving it was just using it for transportation they got it back and uh, you know I, I remember bringing it into the garage in the shop we were at and we went through it just to look and we really didn't find anything wrong with it um, other than they s- uh, broke the ignition switch and uh, but other than that that was the only thing that was really wrong with the car it what didn't show any signs of abuse uh, Everything looked pretty good in the car, and when they got it back, they just kept driving it, as far as I know. But, um, you know, again, kind of look for damage and things like that. So, you know, those are all kind of things, you know, certainly worth looking at when it comes to vehicles. I have a question for you. Somebody wrote to me today or yesterday, I don't remember when, and they said probably the most unusual column question that I will get and it was um it was a little bit different because it was um how did they put it? I want to get it right here um, sorry about this let's see i they started off that they were uh thinking about selling a car they had a car they wanted to sell and the pro- and the person was person was actually from maine and uh they have a car they want to sell. And they said, I probably have one of your most unusual auto advice questions. I'm selling a vehicle that I own outright to a private party who is not able to pay me the full purchase price all at once. I would like to know if it's possible to list myself on the title as a lien holder for collateral purposes in order to protect my interests. And... uh, my initial thing is no you can't you can't do that because i i looked at uh we have a car here in florida and we have um, and the car that we drove down here is in massachusetts and i looked at the title on both cars and the the kind of lien holder places meant for a bank or a car dealership or something not a private party so i don't think that's possible now again you could draw up a contract that said you know i'm 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 going to sell uh my car to jesse wilkins and he's going to give me uh you know five thousand dollars down and he's going to pay me a hundred dollars a month for the next you know 20 months or something like that um i suppose you could do that and both parties sign it and you know have it notarized and it becomes kind of a legal document uh like contracts are um you could do that but my thoughts are um uh, really what they should probably do is probably tell the person to go to the bank and get a get a loan maybe even a short loan like you know something if it's only going to be you know maybe they have a maybe they have some windfall coming in maybe they're you know the 
they hit the lottery or something and they they'll be able to pay it in 90 days or six months or something like that um but my thought is if the person buying the car can't get a loan do you really want to lend them the money um i mean i have seen and i answered the question this way i've seen many friendships and even family relationships harmed by lending money or setting up time payments for vehicles um if it's a good friend or family member that needs a car and you want to go ahead and sell them the car, it's possible your first payment may be your only payment. And I guess you need to be okay with that. You need to decide that, hey, look, um, here's the way it's going to be. I'll, uh, I'll, uh, I'll, you know, we'll pay for it. If you pay me back, that's great. But if you don't pay me back, I'm okay with it. So my question is, have you ever done that? Have you ever sold a friend or family member a vehicle or a boat or you know motorcycle or whatever the case is with the idea that hey i can't pay you for all of it but i'll pay you the next month or two months or whatever the case is now i did that once um and it worked out fine uh my brother-in-law was looking to buy a truck he didn't have the money for it um uh, and but we actually wrote up a like a real little contract that said you know if you uh you have to pay us x amount of dollars in this amount of time and if you don't pay for it um you know and we're going to hold the title of the truck and uh that's what we did uh and it was fine it, again he paid it off and he actually paid it off early and it wasn't a problem but i have seen other people and i worked with two different people that did something very similar to this and they were good friends and they're not anymore because of this so um, you know, I was just wondering, have you ever done anything like that? And if you did, do you want to talk about it? Give us a call at 781-837-4900. Uh, phone lines are open. When we come back, we're also going to do a review of the Ford Bronco, and it's the Everglades edition of the Ford Bronco. Uh, really sort of an interesting vehicle, and we'll talk about that when we get back. My name's John Paul. This is the Car Doctor Program. You're listening on 95.9 WATD. We are the South Shores Radio Station. We'll be right back. Please join us for an exciting new show on WATD, TED Talks Hockey, with former Bruin and Harvard hockey coach Ted Donato. Wednesday evenings, 7 p.m. on 95.9 WATD. And welcome back to the Car Doctor Program on uh, 95.9 WATD. Let's uh, say Happy New Year to our buddy Mike from Hingham. Michael, good morning. Hey, Happy New Year, Car Doctor. Thank you very much, and same to you. I'm 2023, I'm celebrating my 50th year of driving Toyota products. And it's been it's been a good 50 years, right? It certainly has. I bought my first one, a Celica, in 1973, and people laughed at me. Uh, it was one of the one of the early people to buy a Japanese car here in the Northeast. Yeah, and uh, three Celicas, three Cressidas, and Camry, and now three Lexuses. And they've just been—I think the biggest one, thing I ever put into them was a battery, with probably a million miles in all of them. Yeah, it's it's sort of. I remember talking to a one of the first Toyota dealers, and they weren't even a really Toyota dealer. I think they kind of owned a gas station or something. And uh, you know, all of his you know all of his friends said, "What are you doing buying a Toyota franchise? What are you crazy?" And uh, he wasn't crazy. He wasn't. I mean, they've been wonderful. I mean, even the Lexus, I've had some problems, small problems, but they've stepped right up. Like that 3G problem I had, they made made me hold on that one. Oh, good. How'd they do that? 
uh, I wrote the president of Toyota a letter, and uh, they installed a remote starter free of charge at the dealership. There you go. And so there you go. It, it, so it took it took a little effort on your part, but they did it. Right. I mean, you've got to. Nothing comes easy. I mean, you'd be surprised stuff you get if you just write a, a, a snail mail letter makes quite a bit, bit of difference. And they've done it for other things to me. They've just, they've been wonderful to deal with throughout my fifty years with them. Uh, and that's what I can say. And just another note: changes something Toyota. I think they're making the right moves. Unlike everybody else who's jumping with both feet into electric cars, they're pushing the hybrid. They are not doing that. And some people are slamming, but I think they're absolutely right going with the, with the hybrid uh, as the mainstay for the next several years. Yeah, I, I agree with you because I think, I mean, I, you know, I've driven just about every electric car and they're great when, when they're good. They're really good. They're fun to drive. You can get, you know, you can get some with really good range. Um, but are we really ready yet? If you can charge at home, pretty good. Um but they're, they're not for everyone. Uh, I've, I've talked to more people now who, and in fact, uh, Zane Merver, who's, uh, who, who bought a, the Hummer EV truck, uh, he went to go visit his family in Ohio. Normally a 10-hour drive to Ohio, it took him about 13 or 14 hours because he found charging wasn't exactly where he wanted to be. It wasn't the high-speed charging that he hoped for. So, you know, sometimes he had to just charge for a couple hours to charge up enough to get to the next charging station to charge up again. Uh, there's a there's a guy on YouTube called Rich Rebuilds, and uh, he went around with his uh, rebuilt Tesla and tried to charge here and there. And uh, same thing, he bought a Rivian pickup truck and had some charging issues. Couldn't find you know couldn't find charging stations that worked right. Uh, so you know there's the, you know the idea of an unmanned charging station and they fail. And yeah, they're supposed to computer uh, you know you know use a computer to say okay. It notifies who's ever in charge to come and fix the charging station. That stuff doesn't always happen. I heard somebody say that the Tesla charging stations out on the Massachusetts Turnpike, about a third of them are typically not working when they're supposed to be. Yikes. Well, you know, Kyle, Dr. one final statement here is that two things over the last 50 years have made cars great today. Number one is emission controls. And I think number two is Toyota coming on and making making the American car makers build up their standards. Those two things today, you have cars that are very reliable for those two reasons. Yeah, I mean, you look at things like, you know, everybody hated unleaded gasoline when it came out. But unleaded gasoline, lead and gas, yeah, it lubricated valves and did all that. But it also caused spark plugs to go bad in six or 7,000 miles. It caused a lot of different problems. So you came out with pollution controls, unleaded gasoline, and better oil, better oil filters, better machining. And even cars that people don't maintain can go a couple hundred thousand miles. And I always tell the story of when I was a kid... I mean, it was not unusual, to, you know, to do a valve job at thirty or 40,000 miles and do an engine overhaul at 100,000 miles on some cars. But I remember being a kid going to, um, you know, where, where all the old guys went and hung out on, on a, you know, Friday night with their hot rods. And uh, by old guys, I meant probably people in their 30s, you know. So, um, but you go there, and there was a hood open on a Pontiac, and we were looking under the hood, and everybody's, you know, standing around going, wow, look at that, look at this, look at this. And I and I kind of walked over to somebody as a, you know, 17 or 18-year-old and said, what's the big deal about this? And they said, this guy's got 80,000 miles on his car, and he's never pulled the valve cover off of it, you know. And, 
And the idea that you can go, you know, you know, I still see it uh, when I get into when I get into shops every once in a while. Somebody who's brought a car in that hasn't literally hasn't changed the oil in years, and this thing, you know, once they get the oil out of it and change the oil and you know, kind of get it cleaned up a little bit, it still runs pretty good, and it's got one hundred and fifty thousand miles on it, and someone's beat the daylights out of it, you know. Yeah. No. Well, it's a great story. Listen, thank you very much for a great year, and I'm looking forward to a better 2023. Listening to you. All right. Hey, thanks, Mike. Take care, and Happy New Year. Thank you. Bye-bye. If you want to give us a call, our phone number is 781-837-4900, 781-837-4900. I promised I'd talk about the Ford Bronco, and the new Bronco still proves that everything old is new again. The original full-size Ford Bronco debuted as a 1996 model and went through a series of changes until the last one rolled off the assembly line, uh, according to Wikipedia or you know, some other, you know, it's on the Internet. It's got to be true. So uh, June 12, 1996, uh, Ford has developed various versions of the Bronco. And the subject of our road test is, I think, one of the baddest. I don't know, I don't know if baddest is a real word. Um, by the way, I got, I got criticized. Not really criticized. Somebody said they read my column in Friday's uh, New York Newsday. And they said they cringed at the typographical errors in it. Um, and grammatical errors. Now, when I write my column, I uh, I write it, you know, and I and I try to edit the, you know, some people will send me literally three hundred word, you know, questions, and I have to cut them down to about fifty or sixty words, and I still want to keep the content of what they wanted to say, and then I write my answer, and sometimes I have to research my answer, and then I kind of put it away for a day or two, and then I take it back out and look at it again, and then on. Tuesday morning when I submit it to all my various editors, I uh, give it one last look. And then maybe I make a few little changes. And uh, But other than that, that's, uh, you know, and, and after that, it's up to them. So if, uh, suffer with the grammar, I guess, is all I can say. So um, why is this the baddest version? Well, this is the Everglades model. The Everglades version of the Bronco builds on uh, something they call the Sasquatch edition, you know, big hairy monster guy uh but checking the sasquatch box adds uh uh 35 inch goodyear mud terrain tires and big giant tires on 17 inch beadlock capable wheels so in other words the tires won't come off the wheels uh dana front and rear electronic locking axles with a uh pretty uh steep final drive ratio high clearance suspension with a with a two inch wider track so this thing has giant fender flares on it because the tires are that big the package adds um uh special uh bilstein uh uh shocks um with uh what they call end stop control valves doing in, with increased ride height to improve ground clearance new exterior options including capable uh uh, front bumper is what they call it. This bumper has a, besides the built-in toe point, so you can either pull this from wherever I would get stuck, and I have no idea where this thing could get stuck, or be able to hook up with somebody else. This thing also has a um, a giant winch on the front of it. So it's got this great big winch on the front of it. So uh, And what's nice is, unlike most winches, they use a, um, uh, a sort of a braided, rope rather than uh coil rather than uh, um, cable wire so it's a it's a lot nicer to have to deal with where cable tends to be you know you can it breaks and cut yourself and you know it can weaken this rope is, is really pretty nice so um 
but uh, the uh, the the bumpers are steel bumpers. They're powder coated, and again, they have uh, also have things like built-in fog lamps and um, similar to other versions of the Bronco. The roof panels can be removed, uh, and uh, the doors are also uh, removable. So you can take those off if you really want. Uh, the roof panels, when they are removed, uh, have literally a set of luggage in the trunk where you can uh, put all the panels, which is which is kind of nice, keeps everything from getting damaged. Um, also, according to Ford, and I haven't tried it yet, all four doors can actually be stored in the vehicle. Didn't try it, but... Uh, According to according to Ford, according to the website, it says they can be. Uh, the Bronco Everglades Edition is capable of handling the roughest terrain. At the center of the Bronco's off-road ability is Ford's electronic road management system, dubbed GOAT, which stands for Goes Over Any Terrain, uh, with settings to uh, handle rock crawling, mud, sand, and other difficult-to-maneuver driving. So there's this basically this knob and you just turn it and you're in sand it, it applies the throttle a little bit differently plus you can lock the front and rear differentials there's all kinds of switches on the dash where you can lock things um, and it is a two-speed electronic shift on the fly transfer case so you can shift into um, you know high speed low and you know if you want to try to maximize fuel economy you can uh, you can just drive in rear wheel drive uh, which is which is pretty nice but you just turn uh, well, push a button, and it's that simple. Um, you know, what's interesting about the Bronco is the on-road normal driving really doesn't suffer. I mean, it's, you know, you you look at this thing, and it's got these great big knobby tires on it, but they're fairly quiet, and it's a pretty decent ride. Uh, you know, if you're shorter, it is a jump up to get into it. They did put some grab handles inside to make it a little bit easier, uh, but it is a little bit of a jump up to get in and out of it. So, uh, you know, maybe if you're going to get one of these and you're not going to go serious off-roading, maybe you want to put uh, uh, running boards on it or of some sort, maybe off-road style with the uh, that offer more protection. But uh, other than that, it's a jump up to get into it. There's no question about that. Uh, so... The Bronco, I did a little bit of off-road driving, not much, and uh, walk in the park, nice and easy. Uh, I didn't do anything that, you know, probably any other, you know, somewhat capable four-wheel drive vehicle could do, and that's all I did with this. Uh, you know, it wasn't in mud. It was just kind of bumpy dirt road kind of thing, and, um, you know, you could probably drive it as hard as you wanted on this road. I took it nice and easy because I want to I want to always give our press cars back in the condition that I got them in. So uh again, nice and easy. It looks like, you know, looking under this, I kind of crawled under it to look at it and somebody somebody you know, it uh you know, it, you can you can tell that somebody used it and that's what it's made for. Um When you look at all of this, one of the other interesting features about this is uh, it's designed to kind of run through deep water, too. So if you're going off-road, you're hunting, fishing, kayaking, canoeing, whatever people do, it's got this uh, air-mounted snorkel that's uh, up so it can uh, it can take fresh air in. So if you're kind of fording through a river or something, it can do it pretty easily. Uh, something I didn't test, I wouldn't test. Uh, you know, if, if uh, the Ford people said, hey, we want you to go to the Bronco School to be able to see with a real capability of one of our vehicles yeah absolutely i do it but would i do it with one of our our press cars no i wouldn't so 
the other thing is the boxy Bronco looks and feels big until you start to uh, notice is like these tie downs on the front uh, fenders that help improve the sight lines out on the highway. There's some road and wind noise, but nothing objectionable. I mean, considering how big the tires are and also, um, you know, all of the, you know, pretty much every panel on the car comes off. It's pretty quiet going down the road. Now, fuel economy, eh, pretty bad uh fuel economy this is a four-cylinder engine it makes about 270 horsepower i think on 87 octane fuel on premium it makes about 300 horsepower i only averaged about 18 miles per gallon in mostly um city driving but the city driving that i've been doing is is typically mile you know it's it's 45 to 55 miles an hour that's kind of the roads near where i live um lots of trips to the home depot you know, 10 miles down the road kind of thing. Um, but fuel economy, I think the EPA rating on this is maybe 18 city and 17 highway. The highway actually drops off a little bit, which is just the opposite of most vehicles. I found the cabin comfortable. It's roomy. All the gauges and controls are easy to use. Um, the interior with all it, you know, had all this up-to-date technology, but it had a lot of switches and, and knobs, which kind of had a little bit of a retro feel to it but the other thing i liked about it was i liked all the switches and knobs it kind of had a little bit of a i don't know kind of retro modern look maybe a good way to describe it um it has all the you know standard automatic emergency braking park assist driver monitor pedestrian detection uh you could even order this thing with night vision if you wanted to uh front seats offer plenty of head and leg room um even with the front seats pushed all the way back there there was enough leg room in the back seat. Uh, you know, I, every car that I road test, what I'll do is I'll put the front seat to where I would normally sit, and I'm about six feet tall. I put the seat to about where I normally sit, and then I go sit in the back seat and say, well, can a six foot person fit behind a six foot person? And this, this you can. It was good. So, um, uh, cargo area is uh, pretty generous. It's 83 cubic feet with the seats folded. Um, kind of a little fun touches. There's a slide out table or seat for tailgating and they actually show you kind of a little picture of it so uh, because the tailgate swings open and the rear window flips up and uh, there's this little kind of uh, slide out tray sort of thing that I guess you could use as a table uh, you know you but you can slide it out and just sit on it so if you're watching a ball game or you know sitting down by the lake and you know seeing if your uh, you know fishing bobber is going underwater you can you can do it from the little seat. So that was kind of a neat little feature on this. Um, the newest Bronco has kind of a retro style, I think, still, uh, with the latest technology and a combination of off-road capability and on-road civility. Uh, if capability and general coolness are kind of what you're looking for, you should take a look at the Bronco. Somebody saw this one and um, confused it with the, with the Land Rover. They said, is that the new Land Rover? I'm like, no, it's a Ford Bronco. Uh, somebody else looked at it, thought it was uh, a highly modified Jeep Wrangler, for instance. But, you know, if you're a little bit, and I got this question a couple weeks ago, and uh, somebody really likes the idea of a Wrangler, but they wanted something a little bit different, and they wanted to be able to go off-roading, they wanted to be able to go kayaking and, and all those kind of things, but they, they kind of got tired of, seeing so many Wranglers in their life so they they said what do you you know what else is out there and the Bronco is a good choice absolutely a good choice so take a look at it our phone number again 781-837-4900 781-837-4900 phone lines are open if you would like to join us and talk about your car your car problems with 
whatever the you're whatever you're thinking about some of the other questions we got this week um uh, this person has a 2004 Honda Civic so uh, older Civic uh, every week in their local newspaper, there's reports of catalytic converter thefts. And they said police have a video of it happening in mere minutes at a local shopping center. I asked my Honda dealership if they had a fix for that. They said, no. What can I get done to protect my catalytic converter? and Where can I get it done? And also they said they would like to improve the, the overall security uh, on their vehicle, and they said, what about a kill switch? Does that have any potential to damage the car? And who does that kind of work? Well, you know, catalytic converter theft is a major problem. There's no question about that. And uh, we had we had a state rep in uh, on the show one day and talked about a, a bill that he uh, put before the Massachusetts legislature about catalytic converter theft and what he wanted to do, and I think this is really a necessary thing. I mean, the problem with catalytic converter theft is uh, the people who buy them, the salvage dealers who buy them, some are perfectly honest and some probably are not. And when someone shows up literally with a truck or trailer full of catalytic converters and they're brand new, you know, brand new shiny catalytic converters that obviously had just been stolen from a uh, from a car dealership, you know, somebody spent the night at a car dealership, uh, sawzalling, you know, catalytic converters off of cars, and brought them to a salvage shop, salvage yard, and got paid the scrap value of them, which can be in some cases several hundred dollars each, um, and they they buy them, and no one says, well, where did they come from, and who are you, and where did you get them, and I think. Until that part of it gets fixed, we're going to have these problems. So I think really what needs to be done, there does need to be some documentation. There does need to be some, uh, you know, responsibility. You can't just, you know, when somebody comes in with a brand new thing, you know, uh, that isn't even rusty yet and wants to sell it for salvage, it had to be stolen. There's no question about that. So, you know, I want to know who you are, where did it come from, and I'm only going to pay you with a check because that way there's that way I have to know who you are so you can cash the check. So it's kind of I kind of think that's the way it should. So so what can you do? Well, you can there are companies um, that make these aluminum and stainless steel shields that go under the car and they're either bolted or pop riveted to the underside of the vehicle. I have a little bit of a problem with those because I worry about two things. I worry about the catalytic converter getting too hot. Uh, is it allowing enough airflow, which is a possibility, although most of them have vents in them, but I kind of wonder how much were they really tested. And the second thing is, does adding that metal shield under the car where the catalytic, catalytic converter is change the way the car is designed to crumple up in a crash? See, uh, cars have crumple zones. They have these um, zones of the car that are literally designed to crunch up. And what happens is, if you see a car that was just in a crash and you see it's all squished up and you go, wow, that thing crunched up like a soda can. Well, they're designed to do that. Um, that's what actually protects the driver because that that you ride down the, the G-force inside the vehicle because the car has taken all the Gs. The car has taken all the force and not you, the driver. So 
by putting a, a, an aluminum or stainless steel shield under the car, are you going to change that? And what happens to that shield? Is it going to pop up through the floor? Is it bad things going to happen? So I have a little bit of concern about that. The other ones that I've seen are pretty common are sort of this cable clamp. So it's sort of a braided steel cable that wraps around the catalytic converter, and it has sort of a, a, a big heavy clamp on each end of it. And it looks pretty ugly when you look at it. But that's the thought behind it is that if a thief goes to look at it, they're going to say, let's move on to the next car. This is going to be too much work. Certainly, you can cut through uh, steel cable easily enough. But if you're there with a sawzall, it's a real pain to do. So they're probably going to move on to the next one. Uh, regarding kill switches, yeah, you can add kill switches. You can add different kinds. You can add some that are just going to disable the starter, some that you know still will disable the ignition. You know, years and years ago, how we added kill switches were we just uh, added a switch that just shorted out the ignition coil. Uh, you wouldn't want to do that with today's cars, but you could add a switch that would cause an open in the ignition circuit so the car wouldn't start. It could crank over, but it wouldn't start. Or else you could add a switch that would cause an open in the uh, crank circuit so it wouldn't start the car. So basically sort of a switch on a relay kind of thing. Uh, you could do that. Maybe a better choice would be put an alarm in the car. And by putting an alarm in the car, uh, especially one that has a tamper system, so, you know, like if somebody broke a window, maybe if your car was getting jacked up, where unless you own an SUV, so this person has a Honda Civic, and they're, they're, if someone was going to steal the catalytic converter, they would have to be a little teeny tiny flat person, or they would have to jack up the car and get under it. And if they, if that was the case, maybe jacking up the car would set off the alarm, which would be enough to make the person run away with their jack and their sawzall and not do any harm. So as far as getting it done, any good auto repair shop can put an alarm system in or an auto stereo store, um, you know, Back in the old days at, at, at a different radio station, we used to go over to Auto Toys in Randolph. That was a pretty regular stop for us around the holidays because um, we, would do, we would do a program over there, and they would sell a ton of remote car starters, but they also sold a fair amount of alarm systems too. So you could always see about having something like that. So uh, another interesting question I thought that was sort of interesting that came up and we're going to be talking about tires next week. We're going to be talking to somebody from uh, Nokian Tire Company next week. And um, this person said they went out and they have a um, they have a, a car that uh, generally gets, they said, pretty good fuel economy. It's a, it's a Toyota RAV4 hybrid. And like uh, Mike from Hingham was saying, you know, Toyota, Toyota hasn't rushed right into full electric cars that much, um, but they have, they have, they do have a lot of hybrids and plug-in hybrids. This person has a Rav4 hybrid. Uh, it it has about twenty-six thousand miles on it, and they were getting consistently about forty miles per gallon in their normal driving mode. Uh, the vehicle came equipped with Dunlop Grand Trek PT20 tires on it. Now, I don't know anything about Grandlop, Dunlop Grandtech PT20 tires, but uh, this person, the writer, the person who wrote in said, unfortunately, in my opinion, the Dunlop tires were all prematurely and I need, needed to be replaced at 24,000 miles, which is really low for tires. I researched tires on a national website for treadwear, quietness, and affordability. I purchased a set of General Ultimax 365 AW, which 
might stand for all weather. Uh, can tires affect gas mileage? I recently did a 72-mile highway drive and barely got 36 miles per gallon driving in the eco mode. What are your thoughts? Are there specific tires designed for hybrid vehicles? It's been my experience that hybrids and electric vehicles, that, for that matter, um, the ones that I drove all had tires that said low rolling resistance or eco tires or something like that. So they, they are designed to provide a little bit better miles per gallon, uh, whether it's uh, gasoline or longer range on, on batteries. So um, I looked on the Department of Energy website, and according to the experts at the Department of Energy, low rolling resistance tires can uh, be much more fuel efficient um, than conventional tires. The U.S. Department of Energy has done research that shows that utilizing low rolling resistant tires can have as much as a 10% fuel savings impact for drivers. So if your car got 30 miles a gallon, you could get 33 miles per gallon. Then it says, however, for most drivers, according to the study, the fuel savings is uh, around 3% for most drivers. And here's where I'm reading my own question, and I said something about, you know, trying to edit my own work and how that isn't, uh, instead of the uh, instead of 3%, I had their percent. So I wonder why the person cringed. Uh, but it's around 3% for most drivers. And um, and I, I and I agree, and I think that's probably a reasonable number, 3 to 3 to 5% probably. Um since this person seeing more than a 10% drop in miles per gallon, um, I would rerun the test. A 72-mile drive is just too short. I think there's too many vi variables in a 72-mile drive. You know, could it be hilly terrain? Could it be you, you got stuck in a little bit of traffic jam? Could it be weather-related? The other thing is, um, although today, um, Jesse, what was it? what's the temperature outside today? 85 degrees? Something like that? I think. Uh, it's 100 degrees outside. It's 100 degrees outside today. So uh, it's January 1st. It's 100 degrees outside, according to uh, 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 weather prognosticator Jesse Wilkins. That's the official um, title, yeah. It's stripped yeah, of my weather, meteorologist. Yeah. Weather, for, weather, weather forecaster, weather observer Jesse Wilkins. Um, <laughs> according, to the, according to the uh, thermometer that's on the wall that is always wrong, it says 65 degrees outside. Six. I kept it according to my iPhone, which is always right. It's 53 degrees outside. Well, your iPhone is right compared to wherever, you know, that gets its temperature reading from. Correct. Well, I, I, the way I do it is I just add them together. Or multiply uh, them, actually. It's 3,392 yeah. degrees outside now. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Um, somebody said to me that, well, my, my iPhone says it's a different temperature. It's going to be. And I said, well, put your iPhone in the freezer for 20 minutes and tell me if it says it's freezing. And they took it out and they said, well, no, it still says it's 50 degrees. I'm like, yeah, because your iPhone doesn't have a thermometer in it. Uh, it's, it's yeah, I don't think it's using a thermometer. Yeah, I think it's using yeah, um, it, data yeah, from Google. Yeah, from the weather service and right. Google and, and wherever all that stuff comes from. But, yes, on uh, even though it's uh, uh, 3,952 degrees outside today, uh, we are using winter gasoline. Winter gasoline allows for easier starting in cold weather but it has less energy in it. So it's not unusual with winter gas to see a 5 to 10% drop in fuel economy. So a 5 to 10% drop in fuel economy, maybe your tires aren't properly inflated just right, and that can account for another 3, 4, 5% drop in fuel economy unless they're way underinflated. So you kind of add all those things together, and it may not be your new tires cause the, um, 
the drop in fuel economy on this RAV4 hybrid, where in fact it's just the weather that did it. So it's a combination of weather and maybe not quite as much maintenance, not quite as much tire maintenance. So, um, you know, we'll talk about that. The... Um, the Nokian tires, which I haven't heard of for a long time. I remember the brand years ago. And years, years and years and years ago, I worked in a tire store. It was my first real full-time kind of job working in the trade. And uh, people would come in with these... Uh, with these Nokian tires that were that they had to have them on their Volvos and Saabs. That was a tire they had to put on. And uh, I never heard of them before and, and uh, never heard of the brand before. Since then, that... Excuse me a minute. And since then, that brand has been around. Let's let you catch your breath and uh, take a quick break. We got one more to take anyway. So why, don't, one. why don't we do? Why don't we take that quick break? Let me take a breath and clear my throat. We'll right. be right back. You're listening to the uh, Car Doctor program on 90, 95.9 WATD. Talk radio with a South Shore point of view. Hi, I'm Kevin Chachi. Join me tomorrow for Monday Night Talk, where the South Shore comes to talk. Tomorrow night after the 6 o'clock news here on 95.9 WATD. Make an appointment Sunday morning at 11 for John Paul, the car doctor, on 95.9 WATD. Now, back to the car doctor. So, thanks for that. Uh, Jesse, let me take my breath, uh, catch my breath here. You know, I... you know, talking for a long time here. Not not a lot of calls this morning. I'm I'm glad for the calls we got. I'm glad for the listeners we have, and and I'm glad for the listeners who replay the program on the podcast too. Because um, unlike Jesse's podcast, which is uh, what's the name of the podcast, Jesse? Hometown Ghost Stories. Hometown Ghost Stories. It gets like you get like a million downloads a week or something. <laughs> I, I would like to think so, but no, we're we're sitting around nine or ten thousand. Nine or ten thousand. A lot of downloads to a podcast compared to mine, which I think I think I just got a note from one of the podcast companies that said, uh, "Congratulations on your ten on your hundred thousandth download." Hundred thousand, hundred thousand. That's good. Well, it's a hundred thousand over like a hundred years, so it's Still not really good. that good. Yeah, Still good. yeah. So, I'll, t- I'll tell so. you, I I manage a bunch of podcasts, not my own, but like you know, like like upload them for people and stuff like that. So I see the numbers. I could tell you those are very good numbers. You're probably in the top top three percent. Uh well, what, Gar- what I guarantee the, it. I guarantee the, it. The other, the, other po- the other podcasts are what about knitting and? Uh, um, well, that yeah, probably actually. that probably does well. Stri- uh, strictly about knitting. knitting. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, um, but that yeah, and, I and failed meteorologists and <laughs> over three thousand views outside. Yeah. Well, you know, you and I got to talk. Maybe you can maybe you can give me some hints on uh, on how to get my podcast numbers up. I know one of the problems with my podcast is it's too long because I used a whole hour show. And people have said to me, people don't want to listen for that one. They want to listen for like I don't know. Minutes. Look at Joe Rogan. No. He's got the biggest podcasts out there, and his podcasts are like three, four hours long. So well, yeah, I don't well, know. It might be the formula. Yeah. And and we're and we're going to have him on again. There's a there's a uh, mm, friend yeah. of mine, a, a uh, Abingtonian. Oh, I thought you who, meant you're going to uh, have Joe Rogan on again. I was like, yeah, uh, that's a good idea. Yeah, 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 yeah. We'll have yeah, we'll, we'll get those yeah. download numbers up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But there's uh, and he and he and he has something called the. Uh, I think it, and I, I think I screwed it up last time, and I probably am now. But he calls it the, the Dorkomatic podcast. But it's all about uh, vintage racing, and he always is in the top three iTunes listings of uh, podcasts when he when he puts a new one out. But then again, he's also got a pretty good following because he is the uh, track announcer for Fox 
uh, Fox Sports when it's uh, NHRA racing. So, you know, he's on national TV, and, uh, you know, people follow him for that way. But uh, Brian Lones is his name, and, you know, the drag racing season has come to an end. So maybe we'll get him on while he's while he's home and not away every weekend, which he usually does. But uh, uh, so uh, and just a good guy. Good guy. Lives in Abington. Uh, started off being a, a track announcer here and there, and then he's got his podcast. And, and he's also, there's an NHRA video game. And he's doing the track announcing in the video game, which is pretty cool. That is pretty cool. Yeah. So uh, so that's coming up. So anyway, so gas mileage, driving habits, all of that can affect fuel economy. And uh, one last thing about uh, somebody somebody said to me and said, you wrote an article and said you shouldn't warm up your vehicle in, in the winter. Why is this? And will it do any harm if I do it? Um, you don't really need to warm up a modern car. Get in the car, start it up, put your seatbelt on, adjust the heat, adjust the radio. That's about all you need to warm up a car. Yeah, if it's minus 30 degrees out, warming up the car a few minutes isn't going to hurt. Um, you're better off with any car, old or new, to uh, start it up, do that stuff, You know, put your seatbelt on, get what you want, all set. Drive it nice and easy until the heat starts to come out of the heater. And then drive it the way you want. But it's that nice, slow warm-up process that's the best for the car. That music means we need to go. We have used an hour of your time this Sunday morning on January 1st, 2023. Until next time, make sure you wear your seatbelt, drive safely, be good to your car. Talk to you all next week. Bye-bye.